Alright, I'm good. Alright. Okay, so this morning, um, I've got some kind of highlights um, in First Samuel um, that we've talked about. Whoop, not far enough. Announcements, first time done, dum, 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 excuse me. There we go. Uh-oh. I don't have my slides. Okay, we're going without slides. Are they? No, that's first Samuel four, one, eight through three. So um, I don't know, miss I must not have um, I must have put them somewhere else. Okay, I apologize. Let's talk about the bread of presence. We are in uh, 1 Samuel 21. All right, 1 Samuel 21. Oops, excuse me. Tells a story about David who has um, escaped from Saul. Remember, one of our last stories was um, uh, David is leaving Saul. Uh, he's afraid, he's in fear for his life. He's gotten a message from Saul that I'm going to try and kill David. Um, Saul probably believes it's a plot of some kind, and he's trying to keep the kingdom as opposed to let David have the kingdom. And so the story you get in 21 is about when David goes to, um, to the priest, Ahimelech, and says, um, do you have anything to eat? The guys with me are really hungry. And he says, first thing he says is, why are you alone? This doesn't look good. Something's up. And so he suspects from the beginning, David makes up a story, the king has commissioned me, what have you got here, um, give me five loaves of bread. Um, so the priest says, this is not ordinary bread, this is consecrated bread. And the question becomes, um, who, what did the priest say, and then why did he let them eat the bread? So the first thing he said was, are your men consecrated? The, the uh, young men have kept themselves from women is the criteria he asks David about. So there are three things, and I'm in Leviticus, if you want to, 24, and Leviticus 15. Leviticus 24 talks about who's allowed to eat the consecrated bread. It tells you about what makes it consecrated. They cook it. They bake it once um, a week. They put it in presence of the Lord. Uh, Aaron and his um, sons are allowed to eat it only. And so here's a priest talking to David and says, have the young men kept themselves consecrated, which means that they've uh, committed themselves to the Lord. They have been washed and cleansed and they have kept themselves from women. Three criteria come out of Leviticus. And so the priest here says, David answers to the priest, surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out. 
and the vessels of the young men are holy, though it was an ordinary journey, more so today. We have kept ourselves holy. So the priest gave him the bread. So the question becomes, why do you think the priest gave him the bread? These are not sons of Aaron. This is David and the boys. Well, they're armed and dangerous. Well, there's one thing. They have guns. Yeah, they are. They have swords and weapons and... Um, actually, David doesn't have, if you look, he asks for a sword in just a minute. So, so, but he's got tough guys standing in front of him. Why do you think? All right, so this is a discovery for me. I had, um, I didn't know this. And so let me, let's talk about that. It turns out that when it comes to Torah, the priest had some flexibility that I I guess I didn't know or didn't think about or something. Um, but if you look at Leviticus 10, and I won't go through all of it, but I do want you to turn to it. Because this is one you need to know I didn't make up all by myself. In Leviticus 10, and I'll start in verse 12, uh, Moses speaks to Aaron and to his sons, and says, take a grain offering that is left uh, from the Lord's offerings, uh, bake it, eat it in a holy place because it's, it's for you, it's what's due to you and your sons. Take the breast offering and wave it, um, eat it, it's for you and your sons. Um, but Moses searched carefully for the goat for the sin offering, verse 16, and he couldn't find it the goat offering got burned up. And Moses was so angry with them, and he says, why did you not eat the sin offering as well? It's the most holy offering, and it was given to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation to make atonement. Its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary. But Aaron speaks up, verse 19, Leviticus 10, 19, Aaron spoke to Moses, Behold, this very day they presented the sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like, things like this happen, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? And Moses said, That makes sense to me. They didn't follow the rule. But it was a bad day. I mean, the sin was punished, people died. They went into the holy place. He asked, are you, are you following the rules? Aaron says, you know, this just didn't seem like a good thing to do in light of today. And Moses said, okay. So it seems like, and I never thought of it this way, it seems like the priest standing in front of David felt like he had some leeway in special circumstances to have some flexibility. And then Jesus, and let me go over to um, Matthew 12, seems to reinforce that. Matthew 12, um, let's see if I've got the right, I don't have the right. Um, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, Jesus says, um, talking about David now, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, him and his companions, when they entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread? Jesus seems to be standing, so if I've got Moses back here saying, okay, you've got some flexibility, the priest in front of David saying, okay, I'll share some bread with you if you guys meet the qualifications. And Jesus standing up here saying, uh, don't you remember David? And it's as if he expects everyone to nod their head and go, oh yeah, now I see. Because remember, his disciples were going through the field and eating heads of grain on a Sabbath. And the, he was asked by the, the Jewish officials then, he said, what are they doing? They're breaking the Sabbath. That's not the rule. And Jesus seems to be pointing back to a precedent that says, you know, there's some flexibility here. As if people were going to go, well, yeah, okay, I get it now. Um, so let me stop. Thoughts, questions on that one. enlightening moment for me one time was reading Second Chronicles 30 when the people are going to celebrate the Passover and have not done it for a long, a long time. time. Yeah. And, um, and the, some of them don't do it correctly. They had not prepared themselves but a prayer was offered on their behalf because their hearts were right. They were, they were wanting to serve God, and they didn't get all the, the legalistic things correct, but yeah. the purpose was correct, and it says God heard the prayer and healed the people or accepted, saved the people, and that was, so there was, there was so much blessing. So Second Chronicles 30, which verse? Okay, a multitude of people had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover that was prescribed. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, grace is given there. Yeah. You know, just practicality in 1 Samuel 21, this bread was surplus anyway. It had been replaced with fresh bread. That's right, yeah. It wasn't in the presence. It was... Yeah, it was done. It was back in the kitchen. Yeah, that's right. some practicality. And it seems like he had the freedom to do that um, from that practical point of view. Other thoughts? That's, I don't have a today's slide. That's, I seems to have... Um, I did have it, didn't I? Think I've gone too far? Well, I'm not moving up. Yeah, maybe I did. All right, there's bread of presence. Yep, okay. Back on track. Sorry about that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk prayers. Um, here's what I like about the Old Testament. I like about the Old Testament that is um, we have, I think we have everything in the Old Testament that we have in the New Testament. 
a precedent's been there, a foundation's been there. The foundation for prayer is there. Um, and I find in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel four kinds of prayers. One is an intercession prayer. So I'm going to pray for you. On your behalf, I'm going to intercede. There's also a seeking prayer, and the word used frequently throughout this, and um, if you look at chapter 23, 1 Samuel 23, verse 2, verse 4, I will in, he inquired, David inquired of God. Verse 4, David inquired of God. Um, and then now he has a priest in verse 6, um, Abiathar who joined him. Um, and he has an ephod, which is a way they inquire of God. Um, so prayer is throughout this. And if, I, I think that there's a characteristic of David versus Saul versus others that um, would say he has the heart of God. He is always inquiring of God. And so, but I want to talk about um, it's different. Um, Paula and I used to go to um, a church that was um, very spiritual in nature. And the phrase that was oftentimes used was, I don't know if it's the Lord's will for me. Let me see if he leads me to do that. Specifically, I was responsible for elementary education. And so I would call people like you up and I would say, um, I'd like you to teach the third grade. And they would say, oh, let me pray about it and see if the Lord's leading me. And so, and I knew that meant, no, thank you. <laughs> and I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but I thought about it. I thought I would call you up and I would say, yeah, I know, understand how you feel, and I know, but the, I had a, a dream last night. <laughs> and you have the third grade. And I just thought I ought to tell you. So there was this um, looseness to um, inquiring of God and knowing the will of God. So I want you to realize, and let me go to my next one. This is how they often inquired of God. They ask yes, no questions. And they reached down in a sack and they pulled out a rock that said yes or no. And they heard the will of God through a, a very different approach, a, a much more structured approach. Um, they drew lots for... When, when Judas died, and they had to replace, they drew lots. And so it was a very, they, did they pray ahead of time? Absolutely. Did they pray that God would show them his will? Absolutely. But they created, they removed the subjectivity um, in terms of how they tried to determine what God was directing them to do, leading them to do, etc. And And you see that through here. Um, as you, I want you to see that through here because um, once they got the ephod, which is the decision-making breastplate that the priest wore, once they got the priest um, that escaped from Doeg killing the priests, um, they had a decision-making method that was very different than um, at least I've experienced among uh, Christians today uh, as they come to try to inquire of God. Um, okay, thoughts about that? Yeah. Terry, when did this start? I didn't know. 
when the use of the rocks and that, I think it's all the way back to when the priesthood was established. Because they had the Urim, I won't say, the Urim and the Thummim, and the, the rocks were part of the decision making. They had the, the tribes of Israel across there, so that it was always on their heart. I mean, it was, uh, it's been a long, uh, since the beginning of the priesthood, as far as I know. You know different? Yeah? All right? Okay? being pressed by time. So Doeg is um, sitting in the, David and his guys are enjoying the bread and refreshing themselves, and Doeg is there. And Doeg hears them in the conversation and later ends up in the Saul's court and says, I know where David is. And so Saul gets mad and calls all the priests in and the servants won't kill him. But Doeg does. And, so, and then they go after a town. I mean, they're, they, um, um, Saul is angrily after David. And anyone who may be in on what he believes, seems to believe, um, is a conspiracy um, along this way um, that he's going to have them killed. Um, and so interesting to me was right in the middle of all this, let me find uh, 2324. See if I can find uh, the Ziphites. Can you see that real quick? Yes or no? Which, where is it? 23:14. Yes, David. David stayed in the wilderness, and the strongholds remained the hill cut in the wilderness of Ziph. Um, and so, um, he, 15. He's also in the wilderness of Ziph. He meets with Jonathan, and they reaffirm the Ziphites in verse 19. Go to Saul and saying, "We know where he is." And so, look at Psalm. Um, 54. It seems that this psalm was written by David in Ziph. There's a footnote, at least in my Bible, at the top. It says, prayer for defense against my enemies. It's for the choir director on stringed instrument, a maskil of David, when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding among us? And so you see this prayer, save me, O God, vindicate me, hear my prayer. I mean, you get, you get a glimpse into the heart of David um, as he's in the midst of these people trying to um, help Saul against him uh, as he's trying to escape. Um, all right, so, I'm, so ver, chapter 24, well, this really is mountaintops. Um, chapter 24, I want to draw this contrast in verse 4. The men of David, they, here's what they do. They're in the cave. Saul walks in the cave. And one of the men, or some of the men of David say, this is it. We got him. He's right there. He's alone. Um, and they interpret that. 
as this is what was predicted beforehand, that Saul will de uh, God will deliver your enemies unto you. So let's kill him. Oh, I may have a slide on that. Let me scoot up. We got the Ziphites. Spares his day. So, all right. So, knowing the will of God, his men interpret this moment as this is the will of God. It's been predicted. Now's the time. Um, but David struck in the conscience in verse 5 and says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. So he has a different framework to look at this event with Saul standing there before him. So he cuts off a piece of his robe just to show him, I spared your life, Saul. I spared your life uh, in this um, as he shouts out to him. Um, all right, thoughts on that? Okay, I want to get to Abigail. I have five minutes. <laughs> so in chapter 25, we meet this character named um, Nabal, Nabal, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name actually, who is married to a woman by the name of Abigail, who is bright and beautiful. Um, they are very wealthy, verse 2. Um, the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Um, and the scenario we're in is it's sheep shearing time, so it's party time um, going on. And I won't, um, I'll give you references if you'd like. It turns out that um, he's a Calebite. He's a, par a descendant of Caleb. Um, and so he and David are kin. They're relatives back there. Um, and so, um, and I've got 1 Chronicles 2, 9, 18 through 54. Um, I've got David's kinsman, 1 Chronicles 2, 51. Um, and so David sends some men to him. So they're related, way back, but related. Um, that doesn't make him any less mean, but he's still... And so David has been in the wilderness with his sheep herders, protected them. And you get this, David sends ten young men to Nabal and says... Um, we have protected your shepherds. We didn't insult them. We, we were a perimeter of safety around them. Um, so I'd like you to find favor um, and give me this request. And he asks for not a great deal, but he asks for some help. He asks for some. Racket. Yeah, it's a protection <laughs> racket. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. He said, uh, you know, for 50 bucks a week. <laughs> Gonna make sure nothing burns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only George. <laughs> <laughs> or else we'll come break your legs. Yeah, so we come, or, or Vito comes to visit you. All right, so Nabal's response to that is um, you know, he mocks them, he sends them off, he, etc. They go back and tell David. And David says, um, let me find it, verse 13. Put on your swords. I've had it. You know, here we're going to go get him, and we're going to wipe him out. And I mean, it was not going to be pretty. And Abigail's response is, 
Um, she goes to him, that she takes 200 loaves of bread, jugs of wine, sheep prepared for five measures of grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. She takes them to him. She falls down before David and them um, and says, sends, sends everything first. And then she goes and she says, verse 24, on me alone put the blame. Please pay no attention to this foolish man. Um, to which um, David relents. He lets his anger subside. Um, she says in verse 28, Please forgive the transgressions of your maidservant. Um, be, please be enduring. Um, you are busy fighting the, Lord, the, bat, the battles of the Lord. Um, uh, so David says, Blessed be the Lord God for your discernment. You've kept me from bloodshed today in verse 33 and 32. Um, she goes home. She tells Nabal what she's done, and the man dies of a heart attack. He's, he's overcome. He, you know, boom, 10 days later he dies, but he falls over. 10 days later he dies. And David marries Abigail. Why do you think David married Abigail? She was, yeah, she was attractive, liked her personality, she was strong. She had a lot of money, number one. She had money. He has an anchor to his overall strategy, and so Carmel gives him the north, uh, a, pl a base of operations out of the north. Yeah, and I think it's a strong responsibility. If they're related, as they seem to be way back when, he and the ball, he is now a kinsman redeemer. Do you remember Ruth? Just before this, um, Ruth, kinsman redeemer, redeemed her, brought her in. I won't go through the whole story, but he is now redeeming, saying to her, I will keep your family lineage going. I will, t but he gets the money too. Just so let's say, he gets her land. Remember, remember, Ruth said, "Did anyone want to buy this piece of land?" There's a woman that comes with it, and everybody goes, "Well, no." And so she gets redeemed, but not the way. So David kind of flipped that a little and says, "I'll do, I'll redeem you." The land comes with you. So he now has the sheep and the property, a base in the north, etc. So I think that what, what made that logical from David's point of view is, yes, it's a nice thing to do. She's kept me from bloodshed, but this works practically um, too as her um, kinsman redeemer. So Saul had given away his first wife. Saul had given away Michael, yeah his first wife to his best friend evidently yeah no actually that's that's mentioned yeah uh, verse I'm in uh, chapter 25 down at the bottom Saul for, verse 44 Saul had given Michael his his daughter 
David's wife to Palti, the son of Laish, who was in Galim. Yeah, so it's in the context of the story um, that Ab Abigail becomes. The other thing that's um, the one book I read this morning um, was that when David's sons for his inheritance are mentioned, his, her child is not. And so the child would be kinsman through the Redeemer, but not lineage. And so there, that's how the argument got built, as I read this morning. was He did this out of kinsman redeemer. There was property and value that came with it. He did it because she saved him from sin and from bloodshed. Um, but the child that they had did not become part of David's lineage um, on later records. So uh, it seems to be in there somewhere that it was a good value. All right, final comments, questions? Read verse 29, part of verse 22. I just love what she does. 25, 29? Yeah, 25, 29. Um, should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life? Then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle so I looked up this morning. I'm glad you said that. I looked up this morning what a bundle of the living is. It turns out um, the word uh, bundle is probably a document. And so it's like a scroll rolled up. Um, and that may be the book of life. The part I like was uh, she's using sling. The sling, yeah. Sling yeah. And then goes right over the sling and said, may God sling your enemies. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's close with a quick prayer. Lord God Almighty, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you. We always see your will and follow you faithfully. And we pray through Jesus. Amen.